Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Good morning. It is summertime in Wilmington. Man, 100 degrees and 100% humidity, I think. My air conditioner broke a couple weeks ago in my truck. <laughs> I've been laughing about it. <laughs> And taking, an, and taking an extra shirt or two with me. <laughs> oh, goodness. Here we are. Let's see. I got a couple things I wanted to say before I jump in. Uh, first thing, we raised, you guys raised 41, uh, I think actually $4,200 uh, for the Ukrainians in the Carolina. It's a movement that's supporting Ukraine and some Ukrainians who are coming here. Can we give the Lord a, just a hand for that? Thank you guys for your generosity. So good. Um, the other thing that happened this week that was kind of interesting um, is I went over um, with a couple people to uh, the Penguin Radio. Anybody know the Penguin Radio? Does anybody listen to radio anymore? Yes, come on, we do. Yes, yes. I've been in stores and construction sites, and I'm like, it's the radio. Um, so here's the deal. But I went over there, and we recorded four spots. Really cool. Um, and we're putting on uh, one spot um, per week, four times a day for this entire month. And we're just gonna see what happens. Um, so there are these little 30 second bumps that's on the Penguin, they go live tomorrow. Um, but it was, I'm, it was just really neat to be over there and then to even position us as a church to more effectively perhaps reach out and engage the city of Wilmington. So if you're on Penguin, come on, let's clap it out. I agree, exciting. Uh, I think Spencer and a couple of our tech team are coming in Wednesday, and I'm going to try to film those things so they can put them on TikTok. <laughs> so TikTok and Penguin, here we go. Come on. All right. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's see. I am in John 15. Um, what we try to do here every week at Saltbox is really um, open the word, um, get out of the way to our best of our ability, um, portray Jesus, um, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, and help you connect in more vibrant and intimate ways with him because we're convinced that uh, life and the Christian life is not just meant for Sunday mornings, but it's meant for Monday through Saturday, and we want to introduce you more fully and completely to the God of the Bible. Yeah? Okay, cool. Here we go. All right, so I am in um, John 15. I'm going to read verse 1 through probably 17. We'll stop and we'll um, talk about it a little bit. Uh, but I want you to bear in mind that this is Jesus's, um, like if we were at a seminary course, they'd call it his farewell discourse. But, but like what that means is he is with these guys, these 12 disciples, that's now 11 because Judas has left, but he's with these 11 men that he's journeyed with for three years. They've camped around fires together. They've eaten every meal together. They've walked together. They've prayed together. They've tripped and fallen together. They've gotten injured together. They've been hurt by people together. I mean, they've done it all, right? They've been together for three solid years. He's coming to the absolute climax of what he was called here to do, which is the pinnacle of, of being crucified on a cross. But not only that, he's going to be um, buried, and then he's going to break the bounds of hell, of hell and death and burial, and he's going to rise again. And so it's, I think, crucial um, in the heart of Jesus, in the heart of God, um, and you have God the Father, uh, God the Son, Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit, who are really all in one. Um, but, but it's crucial that we would understand if Jesus could say anything to his 11 guys who are really going to go with the other 120 or so, maybe up to 500 disciples, they're going to change the world. 
world. But if he can say anything to these people in these moments, this is what he's going to say. So I think it's worth our like attention to go, what is he really attempting to communicate? Um, Another thing that I want you to bear in mind as we open this 15 verse 1 is Jesus at this point, um, I'm trying to think how to do this geographically for you. He was up on a little, um, it's called a mountain, but it's more like a big hill, um, but it was on the Mount of Olives, um, and he is, he, we ended chapter 14 with, come now, let us leave. So it's, it's um, he's now leaving the Mount of Olives. He's going down past the Garden of Gethsemane, which would be on this side on the Mount of Olives Road. He goes down through the Kidron Valley up into Jerusalem. And what's fascinating is as he's entering into Jerusalem, surrounding uh, the gates of the temple, the Herodian or Herod's temple, are these grapevines. And the grapevines are solid gold, and on the grapevines hang these clusters of grapes. And wealthy uh, people in that day and age, when they wanted to express gratitude to God, they would cast a solid gold grape or, or cluster of grapes, and they'd take them and present them to the temple, and the priests would hang them um, at the temple. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, what I love about Jesus' teaching is he's always teaching um, around things that people are seeing, touching, smelling, tasting. Like it's, it's done in such a way that any person journeying with Jesus would go, oh, that's why he's talking about this. So what I'm suggesting to you as he comes down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem, the disciples are actually seeing this golden grapevine. And then he begins this teaching by saying, I am the true vine. So that's what's the sort of the context even by what's kind of happening here. So let's jump in. We're going to read this passage. Um, I want to talk about grapevine in Palestine. So out of uh, grapes uh, or grapevine, what do they make? Wine. Okay, so we're going to talk about wine today. You shouldn't take this as a license if you're prone to drinking too much. But Jesus drank wine. John the Baptist didn't. Good luck making a rule. We serve a relational God, not a rule-based God. Okay, let's start reading. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Okay, there's like so much here, so we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to attempt to push through. But when he goes, I am the true vine, at this point in Jewish culture, there's a pride in the Jewish people. Um, some of it could have been an okay pride, a nationalistic pride, but some of it's not a good pride because there's this pride in them that they're going, um, we are God's chosen people. And if you dig through the Old Testament, um, the, the Israelites are always likened um, to a vine. It's in Jeremiah, it's in Ezekiel, um, it touches it on Daniel, it's in Hosea, it's in Psalms. But the nation of Israel is consistently likened to a grapevine. A lot of times it's likened to an actually unhealthy, sick, or dying grapevine. And sometimes we as Christians are like that, right? Come on. Okay, so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he's actually saying is, it is not your Judaism or your nationalism that is going to save you. I am the vine. Okay, it's not your, uh, so if you put it in today's language, what does that mean? Um, it's not your Christianity. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. It's not your church membership that's going to save you. It's your relationship with me. It's abiding in the person of Jesus. So immediately he sort of, and I love this about Jesus, he just comes up and he clears the proverbial table all the time. 
You know, everybody has these set of assumptions and things they're thinking, and the nation of Israel is the vine, and it, you know, and then Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the true vine, which he's indicating the nation of Israel is not the true vine. I, Jesus, am the true vine. Okay, let's keep going. Um, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not, or that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Now, why does he prune? So that it will be more fruitful. That's very important. And, and I think you uh, we're entering into something that in, in some ways is like, oh my goodness, this is gonna be a little hard to understand or get your head around, but you've got to see it as this kind, gracious, and loving father, the gardener, who prunes us, who prunes Jesus, so that we can be more fruitful. Okay, hold that. Uh, verse three, um, you are already uh, clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Okay, so he's getting this idea that he's the vine, we're the branches, that's right. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. All right, then verse five, he says it. I am the vine, you are the branches, lest any of you think more highly of yourself than you ought. We are just branches. If you cut a branch off from the source, what happens? It, will, it withers and dies. That's exactly right. Uh, if you remain in me and I in you, and this is this mystery of Christ in us. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but I love that. Uh, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Let me make a little statement here because I think this is uh, neat. This is a, a grapevine. Um, my wife, Abby, is an amazing decorator, um, and we actually went to Napa a few years ago, and I don't know, I can't remember if she got that there or not, um, but I love this um, grapevine because it's a, it was an old vine that was cut and dried, and what's fascinating about grapevine is um, if you came and touched this, you could like pick it up and look at it, but it's very light. It's porous. So do you think it makes good furniture? No. Do you think it makes good wooden tools? No. Uh, do you think you can carve ornate things out of it? No. So what's it good for? It is good for decoration. And if I can ever get my office set up, I hope it goes on my bookshelf. Uh, it's good for decoration. But what did Jesus just say it was good for? Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So true in Palestine, the only good that an old grapevine would be to do is to actually burn it. There was nothing else they could utilize it for. Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you're, you're getting this like imagery of the lifeblood of the sap of the vine running through this vine. If my words uh, remain in you, um, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, I wanna pause right there and I wanna talk um, about the grapevine in Palestine. We've already kind of begun. Um, and then I wanna make some applications to our own hearts and lives. And in doing so, um, I wanna talk about this um, kind of an idea of a, a paradigm. Do you know what a paradigm is? It's like a, um, it's like a lens through which, you, which, through which you view things. So that's Michael's current paradigm, okay? 
a lens through which I'm viewing things. And what I want to do is I actually want to get you to sort of take off your current lens and upgrade to a more kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, or heavenly lens and sort of shift your paradigm into how you see this idea of him being the true vine and this father cutting off every branch in you that bears no fruit. Because at first that's like, yikes. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so let's, uh, let's open this up. Let's talk about grapevine, and then we'll go back and pick up our reading. So um, in Palestine, uh, the most common food, so of the, of the common worker, the common um, you know, peasant man or, or woman who is working is literally bread and red wine. That's the, that is the, at lunch break, that's what we're eating. At dinner, you know, if you're, if you're poor, that's what you're eating. There's no meat, it's bread and red wine. And the grapevine uh, was everywhere in Palestine. I mean, it is growing on every hills, it's growing all over the place, and it is one of the most common plants um, in this, this whole region of Palestine. Now, to be fruitful, um, the grapevine requires constant attention. You might not have known that. It also requires constant pruning. You may not have known that. Um, in the first three years, if, uh, if, uh, if we're farmers in Palestine in this day and age and we're planting a little grapevine, for the first three years, we will not let that grapevine bear fruit. So every time it comes out and the buds shoot out and it starts to you know, make grapes, what are we going to do? Cut it off. Because we want it to focus all of its energy on growing strong roots, a strong central structure, and then shooting vines out. <clears throat> The ground around a grapevine must be cultivated and must be kept um, relatively free of weeds and other plants. And the vine is often trained on trestles. And when it, when it grows, it grows very fast. Um, and when it's pruned properly, guess what happens? It grows faster. Okay, so when the grapevine, or when we, that's what Jesus is beginning to say, when I prune my kids, when I prune my people properly, it accelerates the growth of them, is what he's beginning to say here. Uh, now, this is, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, painful or difficult to think about, but a drastic pruning is necessary for a grapevine to thrive. Some of you know where I'm going with this already. But drastic pruning. So every sort of winter, it's like December and January, uh, the vintner or the person who's growing the grapes is going to come. And he is going to prune them so hard and so far back that it's like, oh my goodness, there's almost nothing left. But they will not thrive and that grapevine will not produce all the fruit that it is capable of producing unless it is really drastically cut back. Um, when these, uh, the, 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 the vines are sort of growing and going, um, any vine that doesn't bear fruit, what's the vintner going to do? Cut it off. And why are they going to cut that branch off? So that the other branches will bear more. It's all about fruit. I mean, everything here is about fruit. We want grapes. If you're raising grapes, you want a big grape crop, right? Everything's about fruit, so everything's geared towards that. So God, Jesus being the vine, the Father being the master gardener, the imagery's happening. You and I as believers or the people he was talking to in this day and age are the branches, and if a branch or a piece of the branch is not bearing fruit, what does he do? Cut it off. Okay, we're, we're rolling. Okay, now, <clears throat> let's... Um, well, let me, let me keep reading. Let me read 9 through 17, and then I want to give you five sort of paradigm-shifting thoughts on pruning and abiding, okay? 
So let's finish it, uh, pick up at verse nine. As the Father has loved me, that's the Father God, Jesus talking, here is me. So I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I, has kept, I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, there's a link between your pruning and your joy. It's very important. We're going to come back to that. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, pause there. Love each other. So Jesus just said, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the master gardener that comes in prunes. Okay, and then he says, love each other. Uh, Or no, he says, basically, when you are pruned, what's going to happen inside of you? Joy. And then he says, love each other. And there's this undeniable parallel between I have loved you by what? Pruning. And then you love one another by? Oh, we'll just leave that for a minute and come back to it. Okay, keep going. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. Now he's referencing the cross there, but he's also referencing pruning there. There's a number of things. It's, this, it's the kingdom of God, this mystery of the kingdom of God that he's really talking about there. You are friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Like the, the theology of the Christian faith is so rich in chapter 14, 15, and 16 because you get this idea that, hey, you're no longer orphans. You're now Sons and daughters, you're no longer uh, servants, you're now friends. Like you get this, this like intimate communion and relationship that's going on with this vibrant, loving, tender God in the form now, God is in the form of Jesus, sitting with these guys, representing the entirety of the Christian faith. That's why I'm always going, this is not a religion, this is a relationship, okay? And so that's what Jesus is reflecting here. So um, you are now my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. Servants don't even get the reason why. They just have to go and do it. But see, what he's saying is you're my friends. There's this beautiful upgrade that's happening in all these sort of arenas. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And I think these guys, 16 to 22-year-olds, are all sitting there going, uh, what? (laughs) Thank the Lord they wrote it down so they could come by it later. I'd like to think I would be different, but I think think not. I think I'd have just gone, huh? Especially me at 18 or 20. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and what? Bear fruit, there it is, fruit that will last. So not temporal fruit, eternal fruit. We're into this eternal idea of the kingdom of God. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Okay, so let's open up um, some applications here on abiding and pruning um, and Jesus being the master gardener. The first thing that jumps at me here Um, is this idea that God is calling us as Christians to be willing to be pruned, okay? Um, And most of us, if we're honest, probably have these moments where we like fight God on the pruning. Um, The the vine, let me say this again, the the grapevine cannot bear all of the fruit that it is capable of producing or bearing unless it is drastically pruned. Do you think pruning feels good? Oh, here we go. 
Um, does anybody raise roses? Can we have roses? Like, or are they real roses or knockouts? Real roses. So, like, I mean, knockouts are awesome because they're, like, for people who don't know, they're, like, for me. You know, I plant knockout roses. That's all we'll plant. I'm a landscaper, too, but we only plant knockout roses. Real roses are, like, they require all this work. But on both knockouts and real roses, what you do is you actually go in in January and February, and do you know how much you cut them back? I mean, it is, like, it so hurts your feelings. It's, like, you cut the whole rose bush down, and it's gone, but it won't produce these gorgeous, beautiful blooms. It won't bear fruit unless you absolutely cut it down. I was, I was actually thinking about this because um, a number of years ago, uh, I have a, we have a landscaping company that um, uh, supports us uh, in, in part at this point in our, in our life. And we had a um, contract down at Carolina Beach. It was like 90 townhomes, some of them on the water, really pretty. But we got this um, maintenance contract and the bushes had all been, been let go like 10, 12 feet tall. And it needed what we in the business call a rejuvenation pruning, okay? So we went in and uh, they said, hey, everything's gotten too big. Will you give this a drastic pruning? And we said, yes, we will. And we wrote a letter and we put the letters on the door and we sent out all these emails and we told everybody what we were going to do. And then we did it. And guess what happened? They stormed the streets. I mean, there was people in the streets like, I mean, we're taking these 12 foot bushes and we're cutting them down to like 12 to 18 inches so that once it all blossomed, we're hitting them with fertilizer in the spring. Once it all blossomed, it would have this nice, beautiful finished height. But guess what? There wasn't a leaf in the neighborhood and everybody went. And guess what happened? 90% of them grew back. We lost 10%. Um, It is the same I am proposing in your life and Mine. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Let's try to make this personal for just a second here. In fact, let me get something. I told you I was a landscaper. This is just a crepe myrtle. I don't have grapevines. Michael is in his life, and the Lord realizes that, man, Michael is not bearing as much fruit in his marriage as he could. So the Lord sovereignly is, maybe he's going to cause something, or maybe he's going to allow something, and he... Drew, in his life, is not bearing as much fruit as he could. Perhaps with his kids, or perhaps it's Michael with my kids, or perhaps it's you with someone at work. And God sovereignly goes, man, if this issue or this thing would be dealt with in their heart, then they would begin to bear more fruit. They would begin to experience more life. They would experience more victory. They would experience more hope. They'd experience more peace. They'd experience more joy. They would actually fulfill all that I've put on them on the planet to fulfill and accomplish in relationship with me and people. And so I'm graciously going to... Sometimes he looks at our kids and he goes, oh my goodness, there's some things that are going to hang up this child and I'm sovereignly going to allow something. And let me, let me make a very like bullseye statement. If I was shooting a bow and arrow, I'm going to bullseye something so tight for you right now. God is a God who is always good. Okay. He is never causing evil. He is never causing pain. From Genesis to Revelation, I could go through this with this uh, with you. Um, he, he is not the orchestrator of pain, but he allows it. Okay? And when he allows something, it is for our good. 
You may not see it now. You might not see it for 10 years. It might be for your child's good. It might be for your spouse's good. But this is this gracious, tender, loving God who everything he does is oriented around simultaneously your good and his glory. Okay? So there's nothing that is currently happening in your life that is beyond the scope of his sovereign hands and his goodness. And it's always something that he has both either allowed um, or it may even be something he's caused. But I think you need to be very careful that we as people don't begin to attribute evil to God. Okay? Does that make sense? And you go, Michael, oh, Michael, that's just semantics. No, 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 that is not just semantics. That is deep heart-like theology, Genesis to Revelation. It is very important. Now, could he stop it? Yes. Yes. And at times he chooses not to, and that can be painful for us. It's, a, it's like a pruning. Okay. So number one, um, there it must be in us as believers a willingness to be pruned. And I think if we're honest, most of us would say um, we fight God on being pruned. Let me, uh, let me tell you, uh, last week I told you a little bit about my, um, my scripture verses that I have in my car. If you were here last week, if you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. But when there's something in my life um, that I, I recognize the Holy Spirit is putting his hand on or his finger on or he's convicting me of, I will find a scripture um, and I will actually uh, write it down. And if I'm sitting at stoplights or I'm driving, guess what I'm doing? I'm going to look at it. If I'm not on the phone, if I'm not whatever I'm doing, I'm going to actually read that scripture. And the point is that I'm going to live my life under the holy overshadowing of the word. And I'm going to let the word of Jesus, the person of Jesus, begin to transform Michael. You got it? So I recognized in myself, I have this resistance to um, being joyful over pruning. Maybe you do too. So I uh, put this little verse on my card. You ready? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Can you imagine? Who is going to be joyful? Go back to our verse. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And you skip all the way down. Why? So that you will bear fruit. Verse 16. Okay. James 1, 1 and 2. I'm sitting at the stoplight. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds and the guy cuts me off. Consider it pure joy after I say something I regret, right? That's real. Real talk. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Same idea. I'm convinced that James took this right from chapter 15 as he sat with Jesus. James wrote that as James 1, verses 2 through 4. Um, I'm convinced that he took it right from there and began to go, okay, Jesus said he was the master gardener. Jesus said he was going to prune me. And Jesus said he was going to prune me. Remember our progression. Let's, let's go back because this is really important. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. God the Father is the gardener who prunes. He prunes us for our joy, amazingly. And then he calls us to do likewise with each other. Oh my goodness. Jesus is crazy. He thinks we're going to do that. Come on. Okay. <clears throat> Make application here as you will, but number one is be willing to be pruned. If you look at your life 
Jesus may be allowing some driving rainstorms, some challenges with your kids, um, some challenges at work, some challenges with your family. Anything that he is allowing um, is his heart so that you will bear more fruit. Okay, so number one here today is be willing to be pruned. Number two um, is change your paradigm of pruning. Remember I said paradigm? Paradigm's the lens through which you look at life and God and people and the whole thing. So change your paradigm of pruning um, from punishment to training for success. Okay, go with me here just a second. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. Does he love you? Yeah, he loves you. So I would actually propose to you today that pruning um, is akin to discipline. And I'm actually going to call us as a church even to begin to see hardship. Um, Hebrews 12 at the beginning of the chapter says to accept every hardship as discipline or as pruning. Oh my goodness. Okay, so hang on a second. Michael, you're telling me that anything difficult or hard in my life, hardship, that happens in my life, I can accept it as discipline. Now let's open this door a second. Just because God is disciplining us, does that mean we failed? That's the paradigm shift. Just because God is allowing hardship in our life, does that mean we've done something wrong? No, just because God allows a difficult trial, does that mean we've sinned? No, okay, now I, I want you, this is like so important and I'm, I spent like, how do I even convey this? Because if we can begin to get this idea that God wants us to access the fullness of our purpose and destiny on planet earth and in eternity, then all of a sudden his discipline has less to do with what you've done or failed to do and more to do with you um, accessing the person of Jesus in your daily life, accessing the kingdom of God in your daily life and fulfilling all that he's called you to do on planet earth and in eternity. You follow me? Okay, so let me give you, I was trying to think of a just silly example, and here's one I could think of. In 2011, I climbed this mountain called Mount Rainier. Anybody ever seen it? It's in Seattle. I first saw it when I was like 18. I flew through Seattle Airport, and I was like, oh, I'm going to climb that. And a bunch of years later, God was super gracious, and I went back and I climbed. It was, it was right before Abby and I got married. <laughs> she was like, don't you want a bachelor party? And I went, nope, I'm going to climb Rainier. That's what I did. So uh, in order to climb Rainier, it's this big ice mountain, and we actually went up a technical route called the Cots Ice Chute. Okay, so it's an almost vertical ice chute that we, it was the final ascent up to the peak um, that we went around. Now, I wanted um, to succeed and get to the top, right? So six months before, what did I start doing? I disciplined myself, okay? I changed what I ate. Um, and then uh, I got this huge backpack and I put 115 pounds in the backpack. And I got these ice boots. I probably should have brought them, but I had too much other stuff I brought today. Show and tell with Michael. <laughs> Sorry. I have these huge ice boots. So I would uh, get on this treadmill in a private place because I was too embarrassed to do it at the gym. Um, and I'd get on a treadmill and I'd put the treadmill up on like level 15, you know, so it's like straight up in the air. I put a 115 pound pack on my shoulders and I would hike as fast as I could for two hours, five days a week. Okay, so what was I doing? Disciplining myself. 
Did I do anything wrong? No. Was I punishing myself? <laughs> In the sense of a parent punishing a child, was I punishing myself? No. I want to get where? To the top. We actually, in our team, as we were climbing, there was three people that it was so grueling and strenuous. We had a 17-hour summit day. They bailed out because they couldn't make it. And guess what? I made it. I made it. I got to, there was this spot where we were coming around the mountain. We got snowed in at 13,000 feet for 40 hours. It was crazy. And we were coming around this spot where we were onto the, the, getting onto this Cots ice chute. And we uh, took the, our crampons and ice axes and clipped into this almost vertical chute. And the guy in front of me dropped a Snickers bar. And I watched, I went, and it was like 4,000 straight feet all the way down. I watched this little thing just, and you know what happened to my hands and feet? Sweaty. Oh my God. And but my training kicked in and I went, I can do this because I'm in shape. I've been doing it. I've disciplined myself. Now, this is a God who his heart is that you would succeed. So let me say it like this change your paradigm of pruning or discipline from punishment to training for success. Okay? Now, I know this is so hard for us as believers to even get our head around, but the end goal of your life is not here, okay? I know that's hard to imagine. The end goal of your life is not that you necessarily have a nicer car or a nicer home. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the goal, okay? The goal is that you're gonna live these short 70 or 80 or 90 years or however long God gives you, and in just a minute, guess what, guys? Every one of us is going to cross the finish line into eternity. Every one of us. And the goal is actually that how you've stewarded your heart and your faith in Christ Jesus, how you've walked with him, and if you've submitted to actually letting him uh, prune you, that you would co-rule and co-reign with him in eternity. So his heart, when he looks at you, is I want this person to experience my absolute best for them, both on planet Earth and in eternity. Why is he allowing hardship in your life? Change your paradigm of discipline or pruning from one of punishment to one of training you for success. Now, does that make it easier when you face hardship tomorrow morning? No. But it does give you con, like a context that you can begin to go, okay. Like all the songs Wes led us in up here were songs that had to do with God being good, essentially good. And you can actually begin to believe and understand that he is essentially good and whatever hardship he has allowed in your life is both for your good and for his glory. And you can begin to rest in it. Now, I just total vulnerability. I am not yet at the point where when bad things happen, I go, yay. Okay. I'm not there. I am learning though, to consider it pure joy. I am learning to go, something happens. And I, I'm, I'm like, I crouch down a little bit and I'm just kind of quiet for a bit. And I'm like, okay, I don't see it yet. I don't understand it yet. I don't get it yet. I don't think I like this. I'm scared for whatever reason, but I'm gonna to choose to trust that God is using this hardship as discipline for my good and for my success, for Abby's good, for our kids' good, and simultaneously for his glory. That's beginning to mature. Am I telling you I've arrived at maturity? 
No. But I'm working on it. And I'm inviting you to do what? The same thing. Okay. So number two, change your uh, paradigm of pruning from um, one of discipline or, or, or tr- change your paradigm of pruning or discipline from punishment to training for success. Um, let me just say real clearly again, he disciplines us for success, not failure. Every hardship is discipline. Discipline is not because of your failure or your sin all the time. Most of us think that God, if God is disciplining us, it's because of our failure. And I just want you to say, sometimes it may include that, but it's much broader than that. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Let me make one more statement here because I hear this all the time. Abby and I say it all the time. Something happens and you go, oh, what did I do to deserve this? You hear me? Or, or something doesn't happen and you go, oh man, I bet God's punishing me because of what I did 10 years ago. You, you know that? Or something happens and you go, oh gosh, he's getting back with me for... Like we don't even want to admit that out loud, but the evil vindictive way that we see God is almost shocking. And I'm calling you to change this paradigm from he's not disciplining you because of your failure. He's disciplining you so that you will succeed. Like a coach meets with an athlete and trains them. You know, if if, if all you want to do is, uh, you know, throw the football in the Pop Warner League, then your training doesn't matter much, does it? But if you want to play in the NFL, what all of a sudden matters? Your training, his discipline, like it's important. He's training you for the ultimate NFL. It's the kingdom of God. All right, keep going. Number three, the other thing that I see that jumps out at this is he calls us to abide in Jesus um, or remain is the word my Bible uses. A lot of them use the word abide, but abide in Jesus by practicing his presence in relationship. Um, so let me, I'm just letting you into my own journey. I'm beginning to train my mind um, and my heart and my life in two ways. In the morning, I usually go, I walk out and make coffee or I've got some cold brew that I made the night before or whatever, but I stumble out into my kitchen and at some point I'm gonna say, good morning, Father God. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then I'm beginning to go, I'm ready for my training today. Sometimes I don't like it. But what that begins to upgrade your heart and mind into is this where you are abiding with your coach, you're abiding with your friend, you're abiding with your master, you're abiding with your savior. Your vine is connected into the branch or in, in, your branch is connected into the vine and you can begin to bear much fruit. Make sense? Okay. Uh, I think just another little thought on that, but most of us receive discipline or hardship like God is absent, he's rejecting us, he's distant, he's uninterested, he's not compassionate. Um, But what if, again, this paradigm shift, what if you began to take hardship or difficulty as proof that he's attentive, he's coaching and he cares and he wants you to succeed now and in eternity? I mean, it's like so good. I know this is hard though. (laughs) Okay. Number one, be willing to be pruned. Number two, change the paradigm of pruning or discipline from punishment to training for success. Number three, abide in Jesus, practicing his presence and relationship. Um, number four, now this is, this is in some ways challenging. This type of pruning by God results in joy. Okay, complete joy, unconquerable joy, um, undefiable joy, unfettered joy. Um, let me... Let me 
say it perhaps like this. When Abby and I were in Napa a few years ago, um, one of the most powerful things that happened, and I can't even remember where we were, but we sat down with a vintner, and the vintner said, do you know what grapes you have to use to make the best wines? And we said, I don't know. And he said, the grapes that make the best wines are the ones that are buffeted most by wind, pounded the most by rain, sometimes hailed or sleeted upon, the ones that struggle in the sun, the ones that don't quite get enough water, they make the best wines. And I had this moment where I went, Lord Jesus, I'm gonna bow my knee to some of what you have allowed in my life because I have complained and I've been ungrateful and I've not liked it and I have fussed and I've resisted and I've disliked you and I've even blamed you. And I am gonna begin to go, okay, I'm gonna trust that you're doing something with what you've allowed in our lives, in our kids' lives, that's gonna be used for our good and your glory. It's powerful if you can begin to switch that. This type of pruning results in joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Number five, let's shift in here just a minute. Verse 13, I'm going to read it again. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he's talking about going to a cross but I want you to go back and make this crystal clear parallel. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The gardener or Yahweh God the Father comes in and prunes us. Uh, in that pruning, we are then able to experience the ultimate joy. And then he calls us to go and love each other by laying our life down. Have you ever sat with somebody that had salad in their teeth at lunch? It's really hard to tell them. I don't know why it's hard. Is it hard? It's hard. Some of you might be more like confrontational and you're fine to do it, but for me, it's hard. But l listen to me a second. I'm always so grateful when Abby looks at me and says, hey, why? She's covering me. She's helping me. I don't get to see my face, right? You know, I want to say something that I don't mean to be crass. It's a little bit crass, so take it as you will. I heard somebody else say it, and it's never left my brain. It's fascinating to me that the human mouth is one inch from the human nose, and the person who has bad breath is the last one that knows it. Okay, let me say it again like this. Why is it that my nose is one inch from my mouth, and I'm the last one that knows I have bad breath? Why is that? I don't know, but here's the point. If we're gonna be a group of people that walks with the Lord, I don't have an answer. But here's what I know, we need each other. We need each other, like we need each other really badly. And it's actually hard to lay down your life and to offer something to someone else that you see that could help them, that could encourage them, that could have them take another step in their journey, that could call them into greater surrender with God. And sometimes when you actually go to someone and say, hey, have you considered doing this in your marriage or in your life or your whatever, what do they do? They're out, man. I'm not talking to you. Get away from me. They might blame you even. But listen to me, there's a parallel between Jesus laying his life down on that cross, laying his life down by pruning us, and then him calling us as people to need community and to need each other to help prune each other. There is an essentialness here, and there is something that if you, if you cannot get this, if you don't get this in community, you will actually miss the fullness of the purpose God has for you both here on planet Earth and in eternity. 
Like it's that serious. And what it requires is that we as people, now I would suggest that we be very gentle. I would suggest that we be very gracious. I would suggest that we be very kind. And I'd also suggest that we not do this unless we're invited. So I'm learning to look at Abby or to look at somebody I trust and go, hey, will you give me some feedback on this? I'm still not very good at it. But what you're inviting at that point is the other person to lay down their life by giving you some good, honest feedback. Remember, it's discipline towards success, not punishment. See that paradigm? Let me say it like this, because I, I want to tie this together. When I was, I think I was 19, um, we didn't have, I'm dating myself right here, but we didn't have like video cameras on our phones and you know, whatever. And somebody brought out an old school video camera to the beach when we were surfing. And they set up the old school video camera on the beach and they filmed us surfing. And I thought I was a really good surfer. And then I watched the video. And I was like, I am the worst surfer I have ever seen. I've been surfing a long time and I ought to be way better than I am. Just is what it is. But I'll never forget, I watched that video and there's this like lack of self-awareness that I realized that I have in that moment. And I also realized that all of humans, we have a lack of self-awareness and many times we perceive ourselves like we would like to be, not as we are. I'm not suggesting we become mean to one another, but I'm suggesting that Jesus laid down his life by pruning us. I am suggesting that if you want to go far in the Christian journey, then you've got to begin to be willing to receive pruning, not just from him through the Holy Spirit, but also through brothers and sisters. And I'm convinced that the healthiest people I know are people that look around at other people that they respect, maybe a marriage they respect, maybe somebody in business that they respect, maybe somebody who's got personal friendships that they respect, and they look over and go, Monica, I love the way you're doing that. Would you help me? What do you see in my life? Do you hear that level of maturity? If I asked how many of you have done that this week, I don't know what response we'd get. I'm not going to ask. I want you to think about it because there's something powerful. And then all of a sudden you're developing a trust relationship. If I go to Monica and I ask her that and she gives me feedback and I actually change. Wow. What happens between Monica and I? Community, trust, relationship, and thus grows the body of Christ and we actually become a real church, not just one that gets together and hangs out on Sunday morning for two hours. You hear me? This is how you actually practice and abide in the presence of Jesus day by day, moment by moment. So let's recap. And Wes and team, if y'all are back there, you can come on out. Applications on abiding in Jesus, allowing Jesus to be the master gardener. Number one, be willing to be pruned. Number two, change the paradigm of pruning or discipline from punishment to training for success. Number three, abide in Jesus, practicing his presence and relationship. Number four, recognize that as painful as the pruning is, it will result in complete joy if you can surrender to him. And number five, love one another by being willing to lay your life down and serve one another, helping to prune one another. 
In these closing verses that we read in chapter 15, Jesus said, the true evidence of discipleship, the true evidence of sonship and daughtership, the true evidence of friendship is actually fruit. There's no fruit without pruning. There's no fruit without abiding. If we as believers are willing to be pruned, if we as believers are willing to abide, it will result in great fruit in our life. If you're a mathematical person, it's abiding plus pruning equals fruit. That's what we want. That's what we want, to know him. We didn't choose Jesus, he chose us. He's called us to be his friends. He's called us to be sons and daughters. He has called us to walk with him in intimate and powerful ways. <sighs> Let's stand as a church. We're gonna sing a closing song together. Would our prayer team be willing to come up here? One of our dear members, um, Bob Johnson, was taken home and he's being taken to have an MRI. I'm gonna, are you praying for him, Ed? Okay, good, we got a group over here. If you wanna pray for Bob Johnson, come over here by Ed. He's 89 years old. Bob's a dear part of our church. So we're gonna pray for him. If you need special prayer during this time, please go grab somebody. These are people that are just in the journey, just like you. Um, if you've never given your heart to this Jesus, maybe you've never even thought of God as a relational God, I'd love to pray with you. Come up here next to Beatty or myself. We'd love to pray with you. If you're online and you need special prayer or you wanna give your heart to Jesus, would you put it in the chat and we'll follow up with you as we can. Let's worship the Lord. And as we worship, let's take a step and go, Lord Jesus, would you, would you transform my paradigm from one of, of pruning for punishment to pruning for success? Yeah? Let's worship together.
Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you're a God that loves us. We're grateful that you're a God that sees, Lord. We're grateful that you're a God that goes before us. And Father, we're grateful that you are a God who allows hardship and difficulty in our lives for our good and for your glory. Father, would you let us become a church that is more deeply and intimately acquainted with you being the gracious heavenly Father who allows hardship as discipline to shape us, to accomplish, to do, to become all that you've called us to on planet earth and in eternity. Father, would you meet with every person here, every family that's gathered here? Father, would you form yourself more fully in us? Father, for Bob and Margaret as they're at home today and as he heads to the hospital, Lord, I pray that you would protect him and preserve and heal. Father, we love you and we trust you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As you go today, go remembering that he is the master gardener and what he has allowed is for your good and his glory. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.